You know, it's, uh, it's amazing how God works. I know that's kind of an understatement, but um, the message that I had planned to preach today is not the message that I'm going to preach today. And it's always, it's always neat to me how God can use the same. Can you turn me down just a little bit, Alex? <clears throat> Thank you. It's always amazing to me how God can use the exact same scripture to teach us something different. You know, scripture never gets old. It never gets repetitive. It doesn't matter how many times I read or pick up the same piece of scripture. It's like I can, God is always revealing something, something different to me, some, picking up something that I've never noticed before. And uh, he kind of did that this week, and I think that he did that for a purpose this week. Um, and that's what I want to talk to you about. But I'm going to read the scripture first. And then we'll kind of get into it. It comes out of the book of Romans, Paul's, <clears throat> Paul's letter to the, uh, to the Roman church, chapter 5. And it's just, it's just five little verses, five quick verses. <clears throat> so Romans 5, 1 through 5, and it reads this. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that's the Word of God for the people of God. I want to point out something to you here on this Trinity Sunday that is really 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 cool and it's it's really going to be the basis of this entire message think of the fact that this is trinity sunday what do you see in those five verses you see the holy trinity you see paul in just a few short sentences throw together how the whole an example of the whole the holy trinity working together in our lives verse one God we have peace through who we have peace through God the Father why because through our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and what do we do with that in verse 5 God pours out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit right there in just five little short verses and isn't that a beautiful thing isn't it a beautiful writing of Paul that he shows us and this is just one example that you find in the Bible, in the New Testament. They're all over the place. But he shows us how, this, how the Holy Spirit, how God in three persons works together in perfect, one word that I use a lot here, community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit constantly working together in beautiful and perfect harmony and unity and community to accomplish God's will, to do whatever God's purpose is. And each of them, as we know, has their own little, their own little way of doing that, their own little way of being involved in that, their own, little, their own purpose. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, our perfect example, our perfect example of what it looks like or what it should look like for us to be the Christian community existing beautifully together in harmony, and in unity for the purpose of fulfilling God's will, for the purpose of showing the world God's kingdom. And that's what I want to talk to you about a good bit today. I want to talk to you about community, and I want to talk to you about unity using 
this example that we see right here in the, in the uh, epistle to the Romans. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working together, working together for God's will, for God's purpose. This is our model. Once again, this is our model for what Christian community could and really should look like. This perfect, <laughs> this perfect, unified, beautiful, agreeable community. Um, you know, talk, Paul talks to us in, in another portion of Scripture. He talks to us about, um, about us all being different parts of the body. Y'all, y'all remember that Scripture talks about, you know, you know we all have different, different aspects of ourselves, and we all, we all make up one body. We all make up uh, um, one church, basically, and all of us has a purpose. All of us have talents. All of us have gifts uh, that are unique to that are unique to us, and we utilize all of those gifts, all those talents, all those personalities to uh, to fulfill again God's purpose to be the church of Jesus Christ. Whether it's right here at Bemis in our local church, or whether we're talking about the church that has existed throughout the centuries in every every place and every everywhere. We all have those, and we can do, when we, when we work together, when we, when we utilize those things correctly, we can work together to accomplish some pretty doggone awesome things. Remember how I emphasized not too long ago, isn't it amazing how Christianity has been able to grow the way that it has grown in 2,000 short years? That's not a whole lot. That's not, uh, that, that's a lot <laughs> in a short amount of time. Because we work together to accomplish these things. All of us. What, all of us, individual parts, different talents, different unique abilities, working together for the purpose of God's kingdom. This reminds me a lot of that scripture from Paul that, we, that, I, that I'm speaking of, where Paul talks about us, the, the different parts and all that. What we see here in this scripture reminds me a lot of that scripture. When we're unified, when we are unified in our vision for what the church is, when we're unified in our vision for being and making disciples of Jesus Christ, when we are unified, when we are working together towards that goal, towards the goal of serving God, serving others, amazing things happen. And that is what the church is called to be. That's what the church is called to be and called to do. We're all different. You know, we're all different physically. We're different emotionally. We're different mentally. We've got different opinions on stuff. We've got different interests. We have different ethnicities. We all come from different social economic backgrounds and statuses. And believe it or not, some of us don't even agree on all aspects of theology and biblical interpretation. That was supposed to be kind of funny. We don't. We never have. Okay? And that's okay. And I'm, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. We don't agree on everything. And we are all different. Many of us, many of us, and if you're a guest here, some of this isn't going to make sense to you. Um, but if you're a member and you begin, you're a regular attender, this is going to make a whole lot of sense to you. Most of us who are here this morning, we're very aware of all the shenanigans, all the divisiveness, and all the differences that we have, that we're having with one another, that are causing a rift within our United Methodist denomination. Uh, did he make it? Shirley, where's your husband at? <laughs> um, Tony and I went to annual conference this 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 last week, and and and. Um, Really, with the, expe- with the exception of one speech that was given, it really turned out to be a pretty tame event. Um, of course, the focal point of the majority of the conversations that were occurring throughout was the divisiveness we're, that we're experiencing, you know, people wondering and questioning, you know, how are we going to move forward? What do we do? What direction do we take? 
Um, everybody's kind of stressing out, to be honest with you. You find a lot of people who are stressing out about all this divisiveness and trying to navigate, you know, this whole thing and try to figure out where God is, is leading them. I had a lot of conversations this past week with some old friends and, and even with some new folks that I'd met. You know, I've got preacher friends. I've got, I've got non-preacher friends. And, uh, you know, they, they range from the very, theologically, the very theologically conservative to the theologically moderate, even into a handful who, who, who would, I would consider to be more theologically progressive, those types of things. We don't agree on all things. I talked to dozens of people, and there were thou literally thousands of people there. We don't agree on all things, church. We never have. We never will. Not in the local church and certainly not in the church universal. But we're called to something bigger. If you guys attended our, uh, one of our, our first disaffiliation meeting, uh, our district superintendent came. And one of the things that she said was that, that, that really stood out to me and um, made, made a real impact on the way that I was thinking, the way that I thought, is she drew out the fact that it's always been this way. And it's not going to change, okay? We said the Apostles' Creed this morning. We've been saying the Apostles' Creed every morning for, a couple, for several months now, every Sunday morning for several months now. The reason that we have the Apostles' Creed in the first place, which our district superintendent reminded us of, the reason that we have the Apostles' Creed in the first place, the reason that we have the longer version that we call the Nicene Creed that you can find in your hymnal in the first place is specifically because Christians haven't agreed for 2,000 years. And somebody had to write those things down because those were disagreements 2,000 years ago since the beginning of Christianity, and people had to hash this stuff out. Here's the thing. We're not always going to agree. We're not always going to agree theologically on stuff. The necessities are important. The non-essentials are the stuff that divide us and mess up our potential for unity. It's why we have literally, literally tens of thousands of Protestant denominations. Last estimate that I saw was somewhere in the neighborhood of about 34,000 different denominations. Why do we have so... The one thing the Protestant church has been really good at is, is schism and divisiveness. If you want to give, them credit for, give us credit for one thing, we've been, we have really excelled in that area. What happens? We don't agree with something you said. Well, let's go form another denomination. What happened here? Don't agree with what you said. Let's go form another denomination. We don't like y'all. What about you guys? I don't like what you said. We're going to go form another church. Build our own church. Snowballing for centuries. Really, really not that many centuries. This only Protestantism, if y'all didn't know this, isn't that old. Protestantism is only about 500 years old. We have managed to create nearly 35,000 denominations in a short span of 500 years. Simply because we don't like what somebody else believes or what somebody else says. Normally, normally, these things are stuff that really don't matter. They don't touch our salvation. They have nothing to do with our salvation. You know, I'm not telling you that beliefs aren't important. Orthodox, y'all have heard me say this, orthodox, historical, Christian doctrines are important, church. Some of the beliefs that we hold are absolutely essential to our salvation, they're absolutely essential to our understanding of, of who God is, to our understanding of, of who Jesus is, to our understanding of our purpose. 
here on earth, never, ever, 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 say one more time, ever will you hear me stand up here and diminish the necessity of our essential beliefs and doctrines. But I'm going to tell you, the essential beliefs is a pretty short list. Christianity is very simple. The essential beliefs of Christianity at the end of the day is a pretty doggone short list. That's why I've been emphasizing the Apostles' Creed, because I think the Apostles' Creed kind of sums up our essentials. If we're going to map out the, the, the bare necessities, the bare bones of Christian, Christian doctrinal beliefs, I think that's it. All this other stuff, all this other stuff that we divide over, really not that essential, folks. They're important. Beliefs are important. Again, you'll never hear me diminish the importance of essential beliefs. But there's other things that are important too, church. The way that we practice our faith is important. The way that we live out, this is what I want you to hear, the way that we live out our faith is important. I've told you this before. We can have all the right beliefs in the world we can be absolutely 100% correct on all of our doctrines, all of our theology, everything across the board. And we could still look nothing like Jesus. Y'all ever know anybody like that? I have. I've known a lot of them. Beliefs are important. But so is our practice. How we live out our faith. Beliefs are important, but loving our neighbors is also important. How have we stressed that over the last year? What Jesus said were the greatest commandments. Loving God is on equal footing with loving our neighbors, which is everybody, through all circumstances. Beliefs are important, but Jesus said the way that we practice our beliefs, the way that we live out our faith is important. Loving one another through all circumstances is important. It is the primary Christian ethic. It's really simple. Loving our neighbor, loving people during our short time on earth is our sole primary Christian ethic. Yet we want to divide ourselves in our local churches and our families even over non-essential beliefs. And nonsense. Remember a couple weeks ago, we said that Jesus himself said the world would love us by one thing. And guess what? It wasn't our beliefs. He said the world will know that we are his disciples by what? Go ahead, somebody repeat it for me, because I know y'all pay attention. We're going to have to go back a couple weeks. By the way, we love each other. He said it three times in three separate sentences. Love, he said, a final commandment I give you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, so too are you to love one another. This is how the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. The way we love is important. How are we loving one another? How are we loving those in our Christian family with whom we have disagreements? Church, beliefs are important, but so is living out our faith, so is practicing our faith, so is loving our neighbor. 
beliefs are important, but so, and here's where I'm going with all this, so is church unity. Beliefs are important, but so is the unity of the church. If you were to look into your Bibles in the Gospel of John over in uh, John 17, I think it's the night before Christ, yeah, it was the night before Christ, the night Christ was arrested, the night before he died. Um, you're going to find that Jesus is saying this really beautiful prayer, and, and, and it occupies a, a, good, a good little length in, your, in, that, in that chapter. It may be the entire chapter. Uh, but he's, he's saying this beautiful prayer, and he's reaching out to God, not really for his own benefit. He's reaching out for the benefit of the disciples. He's praying for the disciples, and he's praying for the future of the church. And he says these words. He prays these words to God. He says, I pray that they... They at the time being the disciples, they for now, for our purposes today, is us. They being the church. I pray that they will be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Here's some more Trinitarian language for you. Just as you are in me and I am in you, I pray that they also will be in us. So that the world will believe you sent me. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them just as you have loved me. Again, you can see the nature of the community of Jesus and the Father working together here. You are in me. I am in you. I pray that they, the church, may also be in us. That's me, and that's you, church. And then he prays, may they be one. Why? Why should they be one? May they be one so that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them. Our unity, our oneness... Our love for one another provides the evidence that the world to the world that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is Lord, that he is who we say he is. Other New Testament authors talk about church unity over and over and over and over again. It's not, it's not, it's, it's not an obscure idea. It's a very prominent idea in the New Testament. Writing to the church at Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, Paul says this. He urges the church, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received, be completely humble and completely gentle. Be patient, bearing, one another, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes this. He says, finally, all of you, all of you be of one mind, united, sympathetic, lovers of your fellow believers, compassionate, modest in your opinion of yourselves. So let me give you an idea of what that kind of looks like sometimes. You know, all those conversations that we were having this week down at the annual conference, me and Tony and everybody else who, who was down there, you know, all of those people who had different opinions, all those people who identified themselves with this group or with that group. Am I with these people? Am I with these people? Am I doing this? Am I going? Am I staying? Or, or whatever. Not a bit of that mattered when we gathered together for worship. I don't know how many people. There was over a thousand. I don't know the exact count. Not a bit of those conversations matter when we gathered in that large room to worship God as brothers and sisters. And you could sense the unity in that room. You could sense the love of God that was in that room. None of these conversations, none of this divisiveness matters when my friend, Tony Mallory, noticed a man sitting in front of him and just got the idea that, you know, something's not right with this guy. This, this, guy's, this guy's going through something. He's experiencing something. Tony put his hand on this guy that never met in his life. 
And he basically says, you know, I feel like something's going, I feel like you're going through something. Can I, I just want to pray, I just feel like, I just feel like praying for you. Can I pray for you? And there, my friend, my brother, Tony Mallory, and this other guy that he had never met his entire life, prayed together, cried together, and provided the example of what unity and love and brotherly Christian love looks like in the midst of all this divisiveness. None of that mattered. None of that mattered when healing was going on in the name of Christ. Right there, through our brother. Just like the Holy Trinity works together, church, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just like they work in perfect harmony, perfect unity, so should we. You know, I've said this on a number of occasions, and I, and I kind of use this comparison probably too much. Y'all probably get tired of hearing me talk about this, but um, over the years, you know, I've said that in many ways that if the church operated, if the church functioned the way that uh, programs like Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and other 12-step groups operated and functioned, we would probably be a lot better off. And there's a lot of examples that I can give you as to why, why I have that opinion. One of those reasons that I say that, though, is that these programs, these programs operate with what they oftentimes refer to as singleness of purpose. Singleness of purpose. We do one thing here, and that's all we do. Okay? If you're in AA, you're, their singleness of purpose is helping a, a suffering alcoholic to recover. If you're in Narcotics Anonymous, their singleness of purpose is helping somebody deal with substance abuse, suffering with substance abuse, to recover. That's what they do, that's who they are, and that is all that they do. Singleness of purpose. What's that look like when I say that? It means that they don't do anything outside of those boundaries. They don't get involved with issues that are unrelated to their purposes. They don't accept money from outside sources. They don't publish or espouse opinions that, have nothing, that are unrelated to helping others. And they stay absolutely away from anything even remotely resembling public controversy. They have a singleness of purpose to carry their message. Here it is. To carry their gospel. To carry their good news to the people who need it the most. What if we just operated with that singleness of purpose? To carry our gospel. To carry the best news there is and ever has been carry the gospel of simply being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. What do you do? This is, our, this is what we do here, church. We operate with a singleness of purpose to be and to make disciples. To carry the gospel to the ones who need it. The Trinity works together, folks, to fulfill God's purpose. What if we were unified under that one primary purpose, one primary purpose to be, to make disciples. What if we could set aside all of our differences of opinion, stop working against each other, and exist solely for the mission on which God has sent us? What if we truly were a unified community? I don't think I've got to tell you the answer to that. I don't think I've got to tell you what the outcome of such a church would be. I don't think I have to tell you what the outcome of such a community would would be. I think you'd see people being brought to Christ. I think you would see people who are already in the church growing in their love for God and growing in their love for another, growing in Christ's likeness. I think you would see a community that Jesus envisioned 
when he prayed those words in the Gospel of John that I told you about just a few minutes ago. Again, you know, I, I had not planned on preaching on this subject today. That was, that, this, was, this was the farthest, farthest from my mind when I started checking out the Scripture earlier this week. You know, the, the, the primary subject of this Scripture actually has, has everything to do with, you know, the assurance that we have of our salvation and, and the peace that we have with God um, even, through, even through tumultuous times. That is, that, is, that is, in essence, really what the Scripture is writing about. But when I saw that community that was pointed out, it was, and you have to believe that Paul did that on purpose, that he mentions God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit on purpose. When I saw that, that just jumped off the page to me as we're dealing with some of the things that we're dealing. And you see this perfect community, <laughs> this, perfect, this perfect conglomeration of holiness that works together to do marvelous things, to carry out God's will. And I just felt that God was, speak, was pushing me to speak on that. Um, I'm going to close by telling you this. Um, I'm going to give you a story, and I'm going to try not to mess it up real bad. Uh, but this is, this is a story that our bishop gave at the end of our conference this year, uh, at the, last, the very last day, the very last, very last sermon that was given. And again, I'm going to try my best not to, not to mess this up. <coughs> Needless to say, he was addressing some of this stuff, and he said he had gone to. Uh, I, it wasn't like a conference, con annual conference, or anything like that. But he, but he was at some kind of meeting, some kind of, with a number of churches and everything. And and y'all know what we've been talking about through this whole process. You guys who attend here regularly and are members and everything, and you know all of the emotions are high, all of the spirits are high. You know, you got folks over here that we need to do this. We got folks over here we need to do that. This is the direction we need to go. No, this is the direction we need to go. And everybody's just chomping at the bit. Everybody's fighting and, and, and belly aching about everything. So that's what our bishop's having to deal with pretty much on a daily basis, by the way. Anyway, he's, he's, he's at one of these church meetings. And uh, he says, this guy walks up to me. Young guy. He says, says he describes him as a young guy. And as all these conversations are going on, you know, the thickness in the air and, and even some of the anger that you feel, feel and all that, and the tension and the stress and the anxiety, he says, this guy walks up to me. He says, and I swear, y'all, he gave me the deepest in, in, in regards to what direction we should be going. He gave me the most solid, foundational, the most deepest theological insight that, that I've ever heard that he possibly could have given us during this time. Lorelai, what was that? Chill out and do God's work. Chill out and do God's work. I think that's pretty doggone good advice. Chill out and do God's work. Bemis, I'll give you credit. We're doing God's work in a lot of ways. We've, we've done a lot in the last year. We've seen, our church, we've seen people join our church. We've, seen, we've, we've prayed about, with people that we don't even know. We've, we've set up outreach uh, uh, opportunities and just all kind of stuff. We're doing the work of God. We're doing the work of God. I feel like this is a. I feel like for the most part, this is a unified church. So, in in some in some ways, I'm preaching to the choir. Um, get me on, come on, up, brother. Um, when we work together, when we operate together, when we function together, with the Trinity as our model, 
of this perfect, unified, harmonious community. We are enabled to best do God's work. And that's what we should strive for. Again, beliefs are important. I'll never diminish the importance of our essential beliefs. Practice is equally, if not more so, important. Loving people is equally, if not more so, important. In many situations, unity. Unity. Unity in love, unity in purpose is important as Christians. I'm going to open up the altar. Um, if anybody has a need to pray, please feel free to come up and pray. And, um, if you'd like me to pray for you, I'd be more than happy to. I'd love to. Just let me know. And the uh, altar's open.